the end of my life, what do I want to be proud of? That's what I was thinking of when I decided to go out and play roller derby when I was scared shitless. That's what I was thinking about when I woke up one morning in 2011 and decided to write my first book. That's what I was thinking about when I was considering getting sober. At the end of my life, I want to be proud of how I lived it. This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 278. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Ask Kickers, how are you? I hope you're having an amazing day and an amazing week. Today is part two of this three-part series that I'm doing, 44 Things I've Learned in 44 Years, because last week on April 15th was my 44th birthday. And I am doing, we're celebrating, I'm doing a giveaway. We're celebrating actually two things. Uh, We're celebrating my birthday, first and foremost. And we're also celebrating that the podcast is now six years old. It's actually on May 1st. The podcast will turn six years old. And I'm celebrating that and also celebrating you because I could not have come as far as I have with this podcast without your support without you actually listening to all of the things that I have to say and all of the guests that I have brought you over the last six years. Holy shit, it has flown by, at least for me. I hope it hasn't slogged by for you because I think if it did, it would not. you would not still be here listening. But thank you so much. I'm so incredibly grateful for you. And that being said, the giveaway is over at yourkickasslife.com slash birthday. There are tons of prizes. There's a grand prize that it includes a private coaching session with me. You and I are going to get on the phone and jam and create some magic. I cannot wait for that. I'm giving away signed copies of my books. I'm giving away the books of my colleagues, people that you have heard here on the podcast. We're giving away gift cards and it all costs zero dollars. It costs zero dollars. So get your booty over there, yourkickasslife.com slash birthday. And I'm going to jump in to part two, part two of 44 things I've learned in 44 years. If you want to listen to the first part, head on over to episode 277 that came out last week and you will hear the first 14 of 44, all of these magical life lessons that I'm bringing you. All right, let's just jump in. Number 15 Feels kind of weird, a little disjointed, like I'm starting in the middle of nowhere, but I trust that y'all have listened to the first part. And if you haven't, it's really not that big of a deal. You'll still get something out of this particular episode. All right. Number 15 of 44 things I've learned in 44 years is that all wisdom is created from healed pain. And here's the thing, like some people argue with me about this and they say, no, I actually don't think that you have to have gone through pain to have wisdom. And I'm like, okay, maybe saying all wisdom is a, is a sweeping, you know, <laughs> it's a little absolute and it doesn't have to be. I do think that we can create wisdom in our lives, learning it from other people, 
reading about it in our favorite self-help books, you know, hearing the advice from other people in our lives. And I think some of us really need to learn lessons the hard way, raising my hand over here. But personally, I feel that the biggest lessons, and, and maybe here's the specificity on it, the things I know for sure, the things that I can be very, very clear on are the things that I have learned because I have gone through some kind of pain over it. I always say we don't really learn things about life and about ourselves when things are smooth sailing, things are great, our relationships are good, job is on lockdown, you know, it's like we're we're in a good place in our lives. Really, the learning comes from when we fall down flat on our faces and get back up again. What do you learn from it? Number 16, trying to control everything is my one-way ticket on the crazy train. Sometimes I forget this and get on board. Yeah, I still find myself... You know, it's funny. My husband and I are watching... Side note. My husband and I are watching reruns of Friends... And I know that some of y'all listeners were being born when Friends was was airing and coming out in the 90s, but I love that show. And we're watching the episodes again, and one of my favorite characters is Monica Geller on there. And actually in my former life, they would tease me and call me that sometimes because I was so competitive and so controlling, and it sort of became a family joke. But I've come a long way and sometimes every so often I go back there and I want to micromanage and I want, if I set things up, I want them to go that way and any variation just gives me anxiety. So I have to remind myself, you know what? Be flexible. It, it really, at the end of the day, doesn't matter. Pick your battles. Is there anything else? For me, sometimes that's a red flag that something else might be going on that I'm not addressing. Like I'm actually feeling anxious about something else. And I am, it's like manifesting on this schedule or it's manifesting on the way my children aren't behaving the way I think, like my daughter's clothes. Like I don't want her, I don't want her to wear that. I want her to wear this other thing. (laughs) So for me, control is one of those things where I really have to, pay attention to my thoughts and my behaviors. Yikes. That sometimes is a tough one. Number 17, the comparison trap is basically made up stories of what I think someone else's life is like. Because a lot of the times we really don't know. I was giving a keynote at Pure Romance World Conference last month. Shout out to those Pure Romance ladies. Y'all were such a blast. And I was talking about the comparison trap and telling a story about this one time I went down that rabbit hole of comparison. And what I had essentially done is I had not only made up stories about this other person, this other woman that I was comparing my life to, but then I started making up stories about how my life was and was going to be based on the made up stories that I had made up about this other person. Like the insanity of that. What is what is going on? Yikes, right? So anyway, all that to say, pay attention. It's like a little theme here. Pay attention when you are making up stories of what you think someone else's life is like. And it may be an absolute true story that they are going on all these 
really awesome vacations. They're traveling the world. They have a salary that you would just love to have. They have success in their life that you are also after. And they're also human. They also have struggles. They maybe have had a really hard time getting to where they are. You just really never know. My hope always is that people really have a magical life. Even if they're traveling the world, they make a lot of money, that they have these magical relationships. My hope really is that they are that happy. And at the same time, they are still human and it doesn't have anything to do with you. That's really like the end game like right there. Their life has nothing to do with you. It's always that that pizza analogy. Every there's enough pizza for everybody. Success and happiness isn't like a pizza where once all the 12 pieces get handed out, there's none for you. And I know sometimes it feels like there's like that one person that gets all the pizza. All of it. But that's not how it is. There is enough pizza for everybody. And everybody loves pizza. All right. Number 18. We're all scared. We all have fear. The people that say they are fearless are just pretending. And it's such a huge misconception that we will do the thing once we have gotten rid of our fear, once we gather up all the self-confidence, once we gather up enough courage to do the thing. There is nobody that is fearless. What those people do that you are making up a story that they're fearless or they're telling people they're fearless, what they have done is they've gone and done the thing while they are afraid. They have taken both courage and fear at the same time, put them in their pockets and gone through the thing. That's what they're doing. That's what I'm doing all the time. When I write books, I'm scared. When I get up on stage to speak in front of thousands of people, I'm scared. When I am walking into a hard conversation with my husband and addressing something, I'm scared. And I do it anyway. To me, it is more important to honor my values, to go after the things that I truly, truly want to do, to not have any regrets on the other side, to be courageous That is more important to me than staying in my fear and letting the fear win. All right? We're all scared. The end. Number 19, none of us get out of this alive. And in the end, I want to be proud of how I lived it. That really dovetails into what I was just talking about is that's what I keep thinking about over and over again is... At the end of my life, what do I want to be proud of? That's what I was thinking of when I decided to go out and play roller derby when I was scared shitless. That's what I was thinking about when I woke up one morning in 2011 and decided to write my first book. That's what I was thinking about when I was considering getting sober. At the end of my life, I want to be proud of how I lived it. And it's also important to me that the people I love are proud of me too. And it's like, I'm gonna, I need to record an entire podcast I did. I did in early last year about what motivates you, but I think I need to address it again because we tend to, anyway, I won't get into it. I don't want to go on like a long side note. I want to, I want to wrap this podcast up. <laughs> I need to get out my 17,000 post-its and write down what I want to talk to you about, about motivation is that you have to just grab what works for you. I think I'm going to write a lot about that actually in my third book because women tend to apologize for that and I got lots to say about this. Okay, but I'm going to move on. I am going to move on. Number 20, at your funeral, no one will talk about your failures. 
So keep failing until you get it right. I can tell I was on like a little theme when I wrote these handful of, of 44 things. Because again, this goes, this goes back to this. We are so fucking concerned about failing. And I wrote about this in the perfectionism chapter and how to stop feeling like shit. So if this feels like it resonates, you might want to go back to that chapter and read about it because I talk about getting more comfortable with failure. And is it still going to suck when you fail? Yes. Is it still going to be humiliating or embarrassing or you might have some shame when you fail? Yes. That is part of the human experience. When I fail, I'm not especially like I'm not celebrating it. I'm not like, yes, oh, this is awesome. Can't wait to find the lessons in this and get that gift. Whew, my favorite. No, not at all. Failing sucks. It feels like shit. I want to go hide when it happens. But now I know, and I don't feel it in the very beginning, but it is a, like, definitely I understand in my mind that this will bring me lessons. This will make me stronger. This is how I build self-confidence and self-trust is by these failures. This is how I get better at life. Absolutely a thousand percent. Some of my biggest failures have taught me so much about myself. And the most, probably the foundational lesson that it's taught me is how amazingly resilient that I am. And you are no different You will find out quickly how resilient, how tough, how strong, how brave, how courageous you are when you get back up again. Like you, you, of course you're going to like be there with your face in the dirt, with feeling like you got the shit kicked out of you. Yes, that is part of it. That is the whole package. So when you're ready to get your ass up, that's when you're going to look around and be like, oh my God, I made it. (laughs) brush yourself off. That sucked. Hopefully you have your support system. You have self-talk that you've worked on that is empowering. And nobody at your funeral is going to list out all of your failures. Nobody. They're going to talk about how great you were and how proud of you they are and how they wish that they could have an ounce of how confident you were and how resilient you were, that's what they're going to talk about. Number 21, uncomfortable conversations are always hard. However, that elephant in the room isn't going anywhere and it takes up a lot of space. So you might as well call it out. I think that that might have actually been a quote from one of my books because it sounds very familiar. Oh my gosh, you guys, this one is so hard for me. I grew up in a family where there was elephants in every room and sometimes more than one. And we just like smiled and hugged each other and loved each other and didn't talk about the hard stuff. And of course, this is not to blame and shame my parents. I truly believe, this is what I talked about in the last episode, truly believe my parents absolutely positively did the best they could with whatever tools they had. And not many of us grow up in homes where communication skills are at the top of the list and they, and people um, are emotionally healthy enough to be able to have these hard conversations in a graceful and kind way. And so things kind of go awry. Either they don't happen at all, or there's not a lot of emotional boundaries and, and it just, it it isn't good. So I do know that people change and that people can learn and that families can change and adjust and learn and be better. But again, if you don't say anything at all, 
it doesn't go anywhere and it just can manifest into other things and come out in other ways and it just never really turns out well. So I invite you all to learn how to have hard conversations and set boundaries and all that, which is actually an entire module that we cover in the mentorship, which is my signature program. We are, as I'm recording this, we're about halfway through this round and we will, we will do another one in the fall. So I'll pop that link in the show notes. If any of you are interested in getting first notification, when we open up applications for the mentorship, if you're it, I mean, there's so many more modules, but that one is a big one. That one's a huge one. All right. Number 22, most people really are too busy thinking about themselves to be obsessing about you like you think they are. Isn't this the truth? You know, really, like we spend so much time worrying about what other people think of us when I don't think they're nearly thinking about us as much as we think they are. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Number 23, that person who treats you like shit is a giant invitation to not be around that person ever. This one is complicated. I could spend an entire podcast episode just talking about this. It's complicated and it's nuanced. And it really depends on this particular relationship that you're in. How invested are you in this relationship? If it's a coworker, it's even a little more complicated because you're at work. If it's a partner, it's complicated because so many things, so many layers. If it's a parent, if it's a sibling, but really just generally speaking, I think we tend to hold on to relationships where people are treating us not that great. You don't have to be around that person. Again, nuanced, complicated, and possibly even subjective, but just something for you to think about. Number 24, if you spend time nosing around in other people's business, there's probably something important in your life that you're purposely avoiding dealing with. This was a chapter in 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life, my first book. And it the idea came to me to write about it in the book was because there's someone that I used to know and this person, and okay, how do I, how do I tell the story without giving it away? So this person, I wasn't actually very close to this person. It was more of kind of an acquaintance, like an obligatory acquaintance. And then another person that I'm close to in my life said, that person's always been like that. She's, what did she call her? She's a meddler or a potster. That's what she called her. She's a potster. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, ever all her whole life, she's just drama, drama, drama. And her, her life is a mess right now. And she's just always in everybody's business. And I was like, huh, isn't that a coincidence? And it, I see this mm, on occasion, right? Like when, we are, and I do this too, during times where my life has been in crisis, anywhere from like, you know, not great to crisis level, I tend to want to fix other people's lives. <laughs> like, what advice can I give that person over there? So I feel like I'm getting something done and I feel like I am okay and that I'm helpful and that I might even get applause for helping people. And there's something glaring in my life that I'm not addressing. This is very few and far between for me now in my life because I don't let it get to that place where it's glaringly obvious and a problem. <laughs> but I certainly have before. So just something for you to think about. Are you spending time, a lot of time, nosing in other people's business, giving a lot of unsolicited advice, 
being a pot stirrer, <laughs> being a meddler, and maybe ignoring something or, or avoiding something in your life that you need to address. Hmm. Something to think about. Number 25, having an open mind can many times blow your mind. Ever since, you know, 2016 U.S. election, I have been trying to have an open mind about other people's views, other people's opinions, and it has been one of the most difficult things I've ever done. And I think that when we become completely closed off just to at least hearing people, doesn't mean you have to agree with them, doesn't mean that you you know can't engage in a peaceful and graceful conversation, but when I completely close people off and shut people down, I'm not ever learning people's perspective. I'm not ever having compassion for other people. I essentially can dehumanize people because... And, and I mean, we all have issues and topics that are just like, nope, nope, nope. I will not bend on this. And it's not about, having an open mind is not about the end result being to change your mind. Not at all. It just means that you're open to hearing other people's perspective and hearing how they view things. Really, that's all it is. That's all it is. And that's all I've got to say about that. Number 26, none of us are are broken or need fixing. Improvement, yes. I really do feel like this is a semantics thing because I remember when I went through the shitstorm that was 2006 for me, I remember feeling like I was broken in a couple of different ways. I I felt like he had broken me based on the events that had happened And I felt like something was wrong with me. Like, what is wrong with me that I cannot keep my husband from fucking other women? What is wrong with me that I can't keep my marriage together? What is wrong with me? Like, you know, like all the feeling like there was something wrong with me and then also feeling like someone had aided in breaking me and that I needed fixing. And I'm never going to tell people how to feel. Like you feel how you're going to feel. And at that time I felt broken. And at the same time, I'm asking people to pay attention to how you're speaking to yourself and the words that you say out loud. Because I think that when we say, and when we tell ourselves that we are broken and that we need fixing, that pushes us over into that place of feeling like we're unworthy, that we're unlovable, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I also think that perhaps that is part of the human experience when you go through stages of just feeling so incredibly brokenhearted, which I feel like all of us will have if you haven't already. And all I'm asking is to pay attention to how you're speaking about it. Because I didn't know it at the time, But what I was experiencing was a real, just human thing that was happening. It was just part of being human. And so many other people (laughs) had been through what I was going through or will experience what I was going through. And I think that, well, actually, I know this. What research tells us, Kristen Neff's work on self-compassion One of the attributes of self-compassion is common humanity and knowing that our struggles and challenges are universal 
and that everyone experiences them. Because when we fall down like that, when we have these just egregious, awful times in our lives, it can feel lonely and isolating and like no one else understands this pain. No one knows what it's like to be here feeling so lonely and just angry with the world and resentful and like all of this shit. That's how I felt. And I think that it might've been helpful to have someone remind me, not that I could have probably sunk into it right away, but if I had had the knowledge ahead of time or had someone remind me, Hey, everyone (laughs) will go through what you are going through. If they haven't already, There is a shit ton of people who have been through what you've been through and have gone out the other side and have become more amazing for having been through it. Common humanity. None of us are broken or need fixing. Okay? Okay. Couple more. Number 27. Whatever you think you are will be your truth. And you are completely in charge of that. This one is also tricky and involved and probably warrants, again, a whole nother podcast episode about it because this is about thought work and your beliefs. And it's also really just cloaked in privilege as well. And it can help many, many, many people to pay attention and really work on how you think of yourself and what you think of yourself. So this goes back to the inner critic and conversations that you have with yourself. And it definitely is not like flip a switch, (laughs) black or white. I am going to go from thinking that I am unlovable or thinking that I am a loser to thinking the opposite. It really is about working on it. But our inner critic becomes our core beliefs about ourselves. And that's what worthiness is. And I've said in the previous podcast episode, and I I try to talk about this more, about worthiness. And what that looks like is paying attention to how you feel about yourself, as well as understanding that it is like a roller coaster sometimes. There are times where I feel like I'm on fire and yes, I have so much confidence and I feel amazing and yes, I'm worthy of so much love and belonging and feeling so good in my heart and my body and my mind. And there are other times where I go down into those spirals and feel shitty. And I will tell you that the latter, the feeling shitty was usually my, my, um, the norm, you know, I experienced that more than feeling confident and feeling great about myself and feeling worthy. And the tables have turned now. So where it's less that I have those spirals of of feeling shitty and more so the feelings of confidence. And, but I, I say all that because they still come and go. They absolutely still come and go. The difference now is, is that I know that they're there. I'm very much aware that they have come in the front door. And like I always say, it's like an unwelcome house guest. And I'm like, okay, you're here. Uh, all right. There's the, there's the living room. <laughs> I'm going to actually work on letting you go, but just surrendering to it. And it's just one of those like wee roller coasters and peaks and valleys. My dad used to always tell me that when I was a kid, peaks and valleys, honey, life is all full of peaks and valleys. So that one's the same. Number 28, and this is the last one for this particular episode, is the moment in an argument that you realize you're either being unreasonable, that the other person has a point, 
or that you're just wrong is the exact moment it's time to admit it and apologize. (laughs) Oh my God. You guys know that moment, right? Have you ever been in that moment where you're arguing with someone or having like a disagreement and then you're like, oh shit, shit. And, and for me, the, my former self, I think I used to push that out, that thought out as soon as it came in. I was like, nope, nope, nope. My pride was too big for that. My pride squashed the reasonable part of my brain that was like, oh, maybe I'm actually, I think, I think he's actually right. I think I am being an asshole. My pride was like, mm, 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 mm. Now, since I have done so much work, it is the most humbling experience and like swallowing that pride and just pausing. That's what I do is I pause and I say, okay, um, you're right. And I, I wish I had a camera. I think it's maybe happened like only one or two times where it's been significant enough for me to remember with my husband now. I wish I had a camera to catch the look on his face because it's it's almost like he's not he doesn't like believe me. Like it's first came, like, is this, like, am I being punked? <laughs> is this a trap? Is this a trick of some sort that I don't know about? But the look on his face of like, holy shit, like really? It, like, it, it, is the argument over? And it really truly is one of those experiences that is just incredibly humbling and hoping that your partner is not, you know, going to do like a football dance in the end zone, but (laughs) that they're going to accept that gracefully as a gift. Um, But yeah, like that is, those moments can be so helpful in your relationship with others, whether it is your partner, whether it is your child or your friend or your neighbor, whomever it is that you're disagreeing with when you actually realize, and it's not in a way of telling them their right to be a people pleaser or kissing up or anything like that. It's, it's when you legitimately realize that you have been unreasonable or, you know, like, I think this is, I'm being a little bit ridiculous. I think I'm, I think I'm actually mad about this, but I'm, it's about something completely different. All right. I'm taking this out on this person who doesn't deserve it because I'm mad about something else. Like, I feel like we've all been in that place. That's another part of being human. And to admit it, um, not from a place of defeat, it's just being kind. It's just being a decent human being. It's maturity also is what it is. And I'll tell you what, I fought that tooth and nail. I did not want, I wanted to win. I didn't care if that, if I realized that other person was right. I mean, the former me would have rather gone down swinging than admit that I was being unreasonable. I'd rather win and know that I was actually wrong. And that says a lot about me. That said a lot about me. That meant that I was so incredibly insecure in my own person, in my own self, that I would rather do that than actually admit that I made a mistake or that that person actually, yeah, just (laughs) wave that white flag. 
oy, that is maturity and that is courage. And that is just taking responsibility for your life, which are some of my most important values. Those are my top values. And yeah, that's all I got for you for this particular episode. Stay tuned for next week where we will do part three of 44 things I've learned in 44 years. And do not forget to head over to yourkickasslife.com slash birthday and celebrate with me and enter to win some really amazing prizes. Thank you again for spending your time with me today. I'm so incredibly grateful that you choose to do that. And until next time, ask kickers, I will see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye.